Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining back here with us as we continue on and really wrap up our series back to basics here this week. And the entire point of this series has really been how can we find ourselves in spaces to connect with God? How can we ensure that we actually have practices that root us in God? How can we be sure that we can actually follow God in the strange world that we are a part of? Because as I shared a few weeks ago, I believe that our modern age really has a unique way to distract us and to divert us from following God. And so what I've been seeking to do over these past kind of four weeks is to share with you four practices that aren't new, but are tried, tested, and true that will really root your life in God, that will open up your eyes to how God is moving in your life and the world around you, that will enable you to really follow God in the strange world that we are a part of. And so we've looked at four practices. We've seen the importance of prayer and how really for us, the fact that Jesus first prays for us is what roots us and grounds us in God. And then we took a look at scripture and how when we're coming to reading scripture, we should see it as a grand, unified story that leads to Jesus. And then last week, Laura shared so well on worship and how we respond to God and how she did so great for her first sermon, but I'm sure that won't be her last sermon here with us. And so today then, today then I want to pick up on our last practice that I think if you incorporate this into your life, along with prayer, along with reading scripture, along with worship, you will actually see God moving in your life in a deeper way than ever before. It'll connect you with God and open you up to actually receiving from God. And today what I want to talk about is actually the practice of giving, generosity, tithing, and all of that. And I want to begin actually by sharing with you a little bit of a confession. I want to begin by sharing with you this confession, that when it comes to talking about money, specifically in the church, I can feel a little bit, I can feel a little bit weird and awkward. Uh, to give you an idea of this, actually, when Chris asked me what I was preaching on this week, and I said, I'm going to be preaching on like giving and tithing and talking about how we need to be people of generosity. And she's like, please try not to be super weird with this, Andrew. <laughs> uh, so thanks for that vote of confidence, Krista. Because uh, truthfully, sometimes when it comes to talking about money in the church, I can feel a little bit awkward. Not because I don't believe we need to talk about it, because we do, and I'll share with you why. But so often, so often you might have seen this, so often when the church has come to talk about money, it has sometimes done this in ways that are really pressure-filled, that are full of like untrue uh, promises, that are really seeming self-serving, and it can make it just a little bit difficult and awkward to talk about money, giving, and tithing in the church. But I think that we need to talk about money, giving, and tithing in the church. I want to share with you why. Because here's the truth, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, money affects your relationships and it affects your lives. And this is also true, and we don't talk about this enough in church, actually, that money also impacts your relationship with God, okay? I want to say that again. The money, it impacts and it affects our relationships, our lives, and it actually impacts and affects our relationship with God. I want to give you a few examples of this, actually, that if you're honest, uh, could you probably agree with me that over some point in your life, that money, right, then uh, finances and all of that, that money has impacted or strained any relationships or friendships that you've had? Could you also maybe be honest and say that sometimes our happiness, and especially in the world we live in, so easily gets tied to our financial success or whatever, right? Or sometimes we think the answer to all of our problems is more money, because this is just true. Money, giving, and all of that sort of thing, this impacts our relationships, so I think that we should talk about it. And as I said also, it also impacts our relationship with God. I want to give you an example of this too. Have you ever met someone who is truly grounded in God, who is really uh, connected to God, where grace seems to be a part of them, or to use a really old word, right, is really holy and righteous? Have you ever met someone like this and then found out that they weren't generous? 
Or to flip the question around differently, flip the question around differently. Have you ever met somebody who is kind of stingy and tight-fisted and focused more on getting than on giving and thought to yourself, wow, I bet you they're really connected with God. And you haven't. Because the truth is just this, that when it comes to our relationship with God, the deeper you get connected to Him, the more we practice generosity, giving, and sharing what God has given to us. That if we want to get back to basics, I think we do need to get back to the basics of practicing generosity, of practicing giving, of practicing sharing with those around us. Because this is just true. Our God is a good and generous God. Anyone want to say amen to that? That our God is a good and generous God. All good things flow from Him. So the closer we get to Him, and the more that we connect with Him, the more then that giving and generosity should be a pattern in our lives. So today, today I do want to talk about giving, I want to talk about tithing, I want to talk about finances and money, because as I said, it affects our relationships and our relationship with God. And today, I want to explore this practice of giving that I think all of us should be actually seeking to grow in. I want to take a look at this through a passage in Malachi. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there to Malachi, um, to Malachi 3. And as you open up your Bibles to Malachi 3, if you're looking for this passage in your Bibles, um, Malachi is the book just before Matthew. It's kind of the end of what is called the Minor Prophets. And what's happening here in this passage is God is really talking with his people, uh, the people of Israel. And this passage is really set in a covenant context between God and Israel. But I think there are principles and there are promises in this passage that really matter for us. So today we're going to see how giving can really impact our relationship with God. That's what I want to talk about. And how we should get back to the basics of really being people who are generous with God and with those around us. And so I want to read this passage to you twice. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. And then I'm going to also read it from the message uh, to give us a bit of a different slant on it as well. So we read this in um, Malachi 3. It says this. This is God speaking. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Uh, God replies, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. And so you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you will, have, uh, you will not have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Or from the message. I want to read it again. It says this. Um, this is just a bit of a different translation on it. It says this. I am God. Yes, I am. And I haven't changed. And because I haven't changed, you, the descendants of Jacob, haven't been destroyed. You have a long history of ignoring my commands. You haven't done a thing that I've told you. Return to me so I can return to you, says the God of angel armies. You ask, but how do we return? Begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse and the whole lot of you because you've been robbing me. It says, bring your full tithe into the temple treasury so that there will be ample provisions for you in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up the heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. For my part, I will defend you against marauders, protect, you, uh, protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunderers. The message of God, the angel of armies. And you'll be voted happiest nation and you'll experience what it's like to be a country of grace. 
I want to work through this passage a little bit here today. I want to do it really focusing in on three things. I want to talk a little bit first about the prosperity gospel. Then I want to talk about the principle in this passage. And lastly, I want to talk about a promise in this passage that I think applies to you and I think applies to me and how if we're going to be following God in 2022, one of the basics we need to continue to have in our lives is a habit and a rhythm and a practice of giving and generosity. And so I want to begin then to talk a little bit about the prosperity gospel. And if you've never heard of this, uh, that's okay. Here's what the prosperity gospel is. This is from Wikipedia. It is a religious belief among some Protestant Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. And that faith, positive speech, and specifically donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. And the basic idea of the prosperity gospel is simply this, okay? That if you give to God, he will give to you. That's kind of the driving belief behind the prosperity gospel, that if you give to God, he will give to you. And that really, as you give more to God, then you will receive more from him. This is the idea of the prosperity gospel. And I want to be clear with this. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I believe it's damaging and wrong. But what the prosperity gospel does, like many things, is it takes something that's true and then it twists it a little bit until it becomes untrue and unhealthy. So what the prosperity gospel gets right is this, that God is not for poverty, that God does not want people to live with a lack, that God does not want people to be um, suffering from a lack of resources, necessities, or food, that what the prosperity gospel gets very right is that God's heart for people is to alleviate them from poverty, deep health challenges, and for struggles. But what the prosperity gospel gets wrong is that you can expect this and that this is a guarantee if you give to God. This is what the prosperity gospel gets wrong and where it gets warped and untrue. That if you give to God, the idea is in the prosperity gospel, God must give back to you and that you can be assured that you will not live a life with any challenges in it. But I think that this is just radically false because the truth is, especially if we examine not only our lives but the lives of Jesus, is that the life of faith is not a promise that we will never face any challenges, obstacles, or difficulties, okay? The life of faith is not a promise that we will never face any challenges, obstacles, or difficulties. But I bring up all of this about the prosperity gospel because often this passage has actually been used to support the prosperity gospel. And if you read it, and I'll read it again, you can notice how maybe people could see this at a shallow reading of it. How they can maybe have this expectation that if they give to God financially, that God must be forced to give the return to them, you know, five times, ten times, whatever it may be. That's often how this passage is interpreted in Shaoli. And as I read it again, you could see how people could get there from verses like this, where God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test, and your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. But I don't think just so we're clear and upfront with this, I don't think what this passage is getting at is a promise of financial return from God. I don't think the prosperity gospel is real or true. I think it's warped and wrong. So instead today, what I want to share with you is what the principle is that I think is happening in this passage and then also a promise that is tied to it. And so I want to share with you now the principle and then the promise. And first, the principle that I think is operating in this text is just this, okay? And this is simple, but I think it's very true. And don't let the clarity of this next statement kind of rob you from its depth, okay? That here's what I believe the principle in this passage is, is that giving is an act of trusting, okay? I want to say that again. 
That giving is an act of trusting. That when you give to someone, you are trusting, uh, you're trusting them. That there's a relational aspect to giving. And I think that's actually quite clear in this passage, that there's a relational aspect that is going on in this passage. And we can see this clearly from the very kind of first few verses, that what we notice in this passage, if we pay attention, is that first of all, God is not happy. God is quite disappointed. God, we could even say, is quite angry, meaning that what he wants to happen is not happening. Listen to the first few verses where he says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do we mean? When did we ever cheat you? And then here, God, it's really clear. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me by not giving to him. That's what's going on there. And there is, I think in this passage, quite a bit of a bite to it, of conviction and of challenge, because here's what God is really saying really clearly in this passage. passage. That because people aren't giving to him, that because people aren't tithing to him, that because people aren't sharing with him, this is actually representative of the the fact that people are not trusting God. That's what's going on here. That when God is talking about being cheated and robbed, I want to be really clear with this. God does not need people's money. But what God realizes is that giving is actually an act of trusting. That giving is an act of worship. That giving shows where your allegiance, where your priorities, and where your faith really is. And so that when people choose not to give to him, really what's going on is that the layer deeper is that they aren't trusting him with their finances. They aren't trusting him with their money. They aren't trusting him with what he has given to them. That's what's going on in this passage. That this passage, follow with me, is not set in economic and transactional terms. It's set in relational terms. In fact, the very first verse we read reads this, right? Now return to me and I will return to you. Now return to me and I will return to you. That this passage is not set in the context of money. It is set in the context of relationships and connections and really about reconciliation, What God is talking uh, about here between himself and the Israelite people is about two parties coming back together. That's what it is. And what brings them back? It's actually the act of giving. Because what was the principle? That giving is an act of trusting. That giving is an act of trusting. And that's what's going on here. And when we choose not to give, what we're really saying then to God is that we don't trust you, is that we don't see you as the source of what is happening, is that we actually can't even share what you have given to us with those around you. And that's a really dangerous place to be. That what this passage is showing is that giving often really does reveal where our heart is at. And that's why God is really saying, give to me, give to me, give to me. Not because he needs our money, but because he wants our relationship. The whole point of this passage is set in that idea of now return to me so that I can return to you. It's about relationships. It's about reconciliation. It's about coming back together because giving is an act of trusting. So that's the principle, I think, that is really working in this passage, is that giving is an act of trusting that brings people together. But then what's the promise? Because there is a promise in this text. I think there's a beautiful promise. Listen to what God says. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do this, listen to this promise, if you do this, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. I want to share with what I believe is really going on here in this promise and in this passage that isn't the prosperity gospel. I think what is happening here actually in this passage is that God is not promising a financial guarantee, okay? That's not what's going on here. God is not saying, if you give to me, he will give to you. This is not a give to get model, okay? That's actually an incorrect way, I think, to interpret this passage. Instead, what I think is going on here, again, placing it in that relational passage, 
here's what uh, is happening, is that what God is saying is that as you give to him relationally, you actually connect to God, which then opens you up to receiving from God. I want to say that again, because I think that this really matters for us to understand this passage. That as you give relationally, you actually connect to God, open yourself up then to actually receive from God. Because remember, that's what this passage is about. Two parties coming back together and how giving is an act of trusting. So what I think God is doing here is he's actually giving a beautiful promise that is better than just money or finances. What he's saying is that as you give to him, as you place your trust in him, you are actually opening yourself up to receiving from him, to receiving blessing, providence, you know, protection, provision, guidance, all of that. That giving is an act of trusting and that when you give then, you're opening yourself up to God and to be able to receive from God. I think that's what's really going on in this passage. I think that's the promise there, that this is about a relational connection, not purely financial transactions. So when God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple, if you do, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. God is talking about what happens when we get relationally connected to him, that then we can actually receive from him. And I think that this makes sense, really. If we think about it this way, that if we don't give, if we don't actually place our trust in God, if we don't actually show that God matters in our finances, we're actually removing ourselves from him. So then how can he bless us? How can he guide us? How can he actually provide for us when we are saying that we don't want to be a part of him? Remember, this entire passage is set in that context of relationship. Now return to me so that I can return to you. That's what's going on here. And so I think the beautiful promise in this passage is really this, is that giving is an act of trusting in God that opens you up to receiving from God. I think that's what's going on here. That giving is an act of trusting in God that opens you up to receiving from God. And so today, I hope I'm trying to be as clear as I can with this, that really, when it comes to giving and our relationship with God, there are really two errors or two ditches of thinking that we need to avoid, okay? The first error or ditch of thinking that's kind of on one side is this idea that if we give to God, we'll all become financially self-sustained, millionaires, whatever it is. That is simply untrue, and that is not what this passage is promising. But there's another kind of error in thinking or ditch on the other side, that there are some people who think that God has no ability to actually impact them materially, their finances, their life, whatever it may be. That is also untrue. I actually think what this passage is getting at is a beautiful truth that it is not a blanket promise that if you just give to God, we'll all become millionaires. That is untrue, that is bribery, that is silly, and that is false. But what there is here in this passage is a promise that as we get connected to God, as we actually trust in Him, as we open ourselves up to Him with faith, that He can actually then share things with us, that we can receive from Him as we connect with Him. Listen to how He even puts it. He says, try me, test me, let me show you that this can happen. This is the beautiful promise that is a part of this passage, that giving is an act of trusting that opens us up to receiving from God so that we can follow Him. And I think this is something that we need. So I don't want to short sell at all the beautiful promise within this. I also don't want to oversell it and to move it purely into financial terms because that's not what it's about. It's about relational connection. It's about trust. It's about faith. And it's about how when we give to God, we are opening ourselves up to actually be able to receive from Him because we are connecting with Him at a relational level. So what's my main point here today? My main point is just this, is that giving is an act of trusting in God that opens you up then to receiving from God. That giving is an act of trusting in God that then opens you up to receiving from God. I mean, he literally says himself, try it. Let me prove it to you. Test me in this, right? That giving is an act of trusting that opens you up to receiving from God. 
And I think if we're going to go back to the basics, if we're going to be able to actually grow in this year, if we want to see God move not only in our own community, but also in our lives, in our families, in our friendships, what we need is not only prayer, what we need is not only scripture, what we need is not only worship, we also need to be people who give. Also people who are generous. Because what this does, it's an act of trust in God that opens us up to God. And so we need to become people who actually practice generosity. So what does this mean for us here today, practically? Well, practically what I want to share with you is how this idea that we should be giving to God as an act of trust and how it then opens us up to receiving from God, I want to share with you how I think this might impact three different groups, okay? I want to talk about first how this point of really giving it as an act of trusting in God that opens you up to receiving from God, how it might impact those who are really struggling financially. I also want to talk about those uh, who aren't giving regularly and who have stable kind of finances. And then lastly, I want to talk uh, to those who are already giving regularly, uh, especially here, and what this passage might mean for, for those in that space. So I want to begin by just talking a little bit about what does this idea of really giving as an act of trusting so that we might actually receive and connect with God, how does this relate to those of us in our church who might be really struggling financially? Well, I want to begin by just saying this, that I know that financial strain and stress, and when you are really struggling with this, this can be really debilitating. This can be incredibly difficult. There can be a lot of stigma that comes from this, that when our finances are just not there, right? It's not that we're financially mismanaging things, it's that we have no finances to manage. When that is the case for some of us, it is a really, really difficult thing to be in and a difficult space to be in. And here's what I wanna invite you to do today if you're in that space. Uh, I want to invite you to actually trust God with your finances by giving to him a small amount. I want to say that again, okay? I want to invite you to trust God with your finances by giving to him a small amount as a step of faith, as a way of opening yourself up to trusting with him. But I want to be clear with this. When I'm saying giving a small amount, I'm not talking if you're in real financial difficulty going further into debt. I'm not talking about treating God as some lottery that the more you give to him, the more you can expect to return. I'm not talking about giving in unhealthy ways that actually leave you in a damaged space. What I'm talking about is really giving to God um, out of discernment, but also out of a desire to connect with him in small and growing ways. Because I think any small act, what it does is it starts to orient us to seeing and aligning with God. And so I want to invite you I want to invite you, even if you're struggling financially, to give to God in small ways, in growing ways, as you continue to grow and move forward. I want to invite you to do this with both sensitivity and with discernment. And I just think that for many of us, there's actually a temptation to put off giving to the future, to when everything is financially secure. But what I think that does actually is it can cause us to miss out on how generosity can impact our relationship with God starting today. So I want to invite you, even if you're financially struggling, to give in small ways that grow. That's what I want to invite you into. And to do this with discernment and to do this with sensitivity, I think that this matters. We're not talking about getting further into debt. We're talking, though, instead about using this as a way to continue to align your life with God. Then okay. secondly, what about for those of us, uh, those of us who aren't giving regularly but are financially stable? And by that I mean like you have a home, you have a car, you have regular food, you sometimes dream and think about vacations, that sort of thing. What about for those of us who aren't giving regularly? It's not a habit in our lives. Right? And we are financially uh, stable. Well, for those of us, I think the truth is this, that for some of us, we do not give regularly or sacrificially, and we can, and I think we need to. Okay? That for some of us in those places, that we do not give regularly or, or sacrificially, and we can and we need to. And for me, this is not a uh, bribery thing. 
This is not a guilt thing. I think you all know me. That's not a part of my heart. It's really, though, more about a connection and a priority thing. I mean, listen to those verses. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a, a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Let me prove it to you. So if you're in that space of where you actually have some finances, but you aren't regularly giving, I have a challenge for you. And my challenge is this, to start to give to God regularly for the next three months. Start to give to him significantly and sacrificially for the next three months and just see what he does. See how it changes your perspective on him. See what actually connects you and aligns your heart with him. See what generosity as a practice does, not only to you, but to those around you. Now the Bible, when it comes to generosity and to giving, the Bible talks about a tithe, which is 10%. Um, but if we can be honest with something, if you haven't been regularly giving, starting at 10% can seem like an impossibility if you have, you know, some debt, COVID, you know, realities and all of that. So I want to invite you, I want to invite you actually to start wherever you can and to grow from there. I think that that's why. I said if you can't start at 10%, start where you can and actually grow from there. I think what is so often happens for so many of us is that we give when our heart streets get pulled. We give, you know, in sporadic moments, but this really needs to be a discipline and a practice within our lives if we're going to grow with God. So for those of you who aren't giving regularly, I want to invite you to actually give regularly. I think it will change your life and the lives around you, and I think it will align your heart and your journey with God, and I think that that matters. And then thirdly, to the group of those of us uh, here at church uh, who continue to give consistently, who sacrifice and serve and share what they have been uh, given, the first thing I want to say to you is thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for giving and sharing with us. Uh, This really enables all the impact that happens around us, and it is beautiful, and it is needed, and it's necessary. So I want to say thank you. I also do want to invite you, though, to think about one question. I want to invite you to pray and to discern, is this a season to stretch and to give more? Is this a season to stretch and to give more? And the reason I ask this question is because I think as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should always be seeking to grow in generosity. Because as I said, you have never met a Christian who is deep and godly and connected to Christ and isn't generous. That's actually a part of the package of following Jesus and what it looks like. So I want to invite you just to pray and to see. Is this a season to stretch and to give a little bit more? It may not be, it may be. I want to invite you to listen to the Spirit in that. So today, today, what is my main point? It's like giving is an act of trusting and actually opens you up to connect and to receive from God. And then practically, what is my challenge? My challenge is really simple. It's actually to start to give regularly, to give regularly, to give regularly. And where should you be giving? Well, there are loads of amazing places. There are loads of amazing people to be able to share our finances and what we have with. But I really do believe one of the places we should be giving, and I know you probably expected this, is actually the church. And here's why. Here's why I think we should give to the church. Because if you receive connection from God from here, if you receive some hope and some meaning, I think it's important to give back to God. I think that this matters. I tithe here and I believe in everything that we do. And I think that the church is an important place for us to give to because it actually aligns us with what God is doing. But today, to close, what I want to do is I want to share with you a story, actually. Because I know I've talked a lot about finances, about money, about giving, and I do believe it matters for us because it impacts our relationship. And as I said, it does impact our relationship with God. But I don't want us to get lost in all of this discussion. What I want us to remember is that the key of all this, it isn't actually the finances or the money, it's the heart, right? That giving is an act of trusting. I want to share with you one story where for me, and for Krista too, that this became so clear that God is the person that we need to trust, that really giving is an act of trusting in God, and that we can trust God with our finances, and that I can trust in God more than I can trust in my income, my budgeting, and all of that. I want to share with you one moment where my heart towards giving was absolutely kind of radically changed, and where God proved his faithfulness and his trustworthiness to me and to Krista. 
And I want to share with you a story back when we were first married. Now, Chris and I got married quite young, um, at 20 and 21. And um, this was kind of right around that time, right after we had been married. And we're both working uh, part-time jobs. We're in full-time school. Um, you know, and having to pay tuition and all of that. Krista was working at Payless Shoes, which was a store, I don't think they're a store anymore, maybe not, um, which was a store way back then at Payless Shoes. And then I was working as a part-time janitor and a part-time youth pastor. And so for Krista and I, we just didn't have a lot of finances and income. And there came uh, one month right after paying tuition where we came to pay rent and we literally just didn't have the money. We didn't have anything. And it wasn't that we were financially mismanaging our money. We just literally had no you know, money to actually manage at all. Some of you know what that's like. And it was a really stressful time. It was a difficult time. And I remember Chris and us, like, and I just praying about what do we do? And it came to the point where on the day of our rent, we just didn't have money. So uh, we had to go talk with our landlords. And our landlords, I was really awkward about this conversation because our landlords went to the church. They were wonderful Christian people and we were just struggling and didn't know quite what to do. So Chris and I prayed and then I went to go talk with our landlords. I don't know why it was me that went, why we didn't go together. I'm going to have to ask Krista about that later. Um, but here's what happened. And this next part, I know it'll sound a little bit made up. Uh, and I actually hesitated in sharing this story today because it can sound a little bit, you know, untrue or whatever. But here's what happened. I left our little apartment, which was in the basement, um, and shut the door behind me to go upstairs uh, to our landlord's, uh, you know, house, whatever. Um, and as soon as I shut the door, I opened it up again and went back into the house our, our little apartment. And Krista turns to me, she's like, why are you back? You couldn't have talked to them already. Did you like chicken out? Because she thought that's what was happening with me, which was quite likely. And here's what happened. After I had shut the door, as I'd walked out of our apartment, what I had found on our door handle, and I'm not making this up, what I found on our door handle was a large amount of cash that was elastic to our door handle. And so I took that inside and I showed Krista and I said, this was on our door handle. And she's like, what? Like, we had no idea. This was shocking. This was surprising. And so we instantly start counting it. And I'm not making this up. We instantly start counting it. And that amount of cash that was on our door handle was the exact amount of rent that we needed for that month. So on the day when we had no money, on the day where we had no rent money, on the day when we were wondering about what to do, I leave our apartment and find the exact amount of money in cash on our door handle that then we were able to go and to give to the landlords and even share kind of what was going on and what had happened. And it was an incredible, like miraculous moment. And I share with you this story, follow it with me. I share with you a story because this one moment of our li my life, this one moment did not erase our financial need, but it did change my heart. I wanna be clear with that. That this one moment of this interaction with God, this did not erase our financial need, but it did change my heart. Because follow with me, that one rent payment was amazing, but we also struggled to find rent for the next month too, right? It didn't miraculously take away everything, but what it did miraculously change, what it did miraculously change was my heart towards God. And I wanna be clear with this. I have never ever found money on a door handle again, and I never ever ever expect God to do that again. I don't. Now, of course, do I wish I had the spiritual gift of finding money on a door handle? Absolutely, like who wouldn't? But I don't believe that that's what that was about. Because what I believe God was doing in that moment, it was not about just providing for me financially. It was actually about changing my heart so I would trust in him with my finances. And so now, so now because of that moment, whenever we come to a difficult season, whenever all of a sudden finances get tight in our family and our household, whenever like unexpected bills come up or like, I don't know, hypothetically, your wife leaves a job at the university to go back to school for like a third time or whatever, right? Whenever things get difficult, do you want to know what I remember? I remember that moment and that God is worth trusting and that we are called to grow in generosity to others. That's what I remember. 
that God is worth trusting and we're called to grow in generosity with others. This is what this is all about. It is about relationships. It is about our connection with God. It is about our trust in him, right? That's what this passage is about. So yes, today, I do want to challenge you. If you aren't giving regularly, to give regularly. That's my challenge, to start trusting in God by giving. I think that that matters. But I don't want us to lose the focus that what this is really about, it is not about the money, it is about our hearts. It's about trusting in God. It's about connecting to God. It's about actually aligning our hearts with Him so we even might receive from Him. Because our God is amazing, good God who does amazing things. And it's about us aligning our lives with Him. So today, my challenge is really simple. It's simply to give regularly, trusting in God. And remember, Remember, this isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't the promise that we'll all be multimillionaires if you give to the church. That's silly, that's bribery, and that's false. What this is about, what this is about is actually having our hearts changed to align them with God so that we might continue to journey and connect with Him. So as we close this series, I want to invite you this year, this year to really focus in on doing four things. I want to invite you to pray every single day that this matters. I want to invite you to read scripture consistently. I want to invite you into a practice of worship, uh, worshiping God with all that is around you. And then lastly, I want to invite you into a pattern of regular giving because it changes your heart and it connects you with God and it aligns you with him. And this is what I want to invite you into because this, this is how I think that we continue to grow with God. So would you continue to give regularly? Because this isn't about money. It's about our heart being shifted and changed and transformed and aligned with him so that yes, we might continue to not only connect with him, but to receive with him. And so with that, would you join with me in prayer today? Dear God, I ask, as we continue to follow you, I pray, God, would you continue to give us wisdom? Would you continue to give us courage? Would you continue, God, to help us to trust in you with our finances? This is a difficult season for so many, Lord. And so I pray, God, might we continue to see you moving in our lives. I pray, God, might we continue to act with generosity towards those around us. I pray, God, might we continue to have your heart towards those who we see and meet and who we encounter. I pray, God, would you give us a heart of generosity. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to seek to follow you, Lord, might we see you moving in our lives, might we trust in you, and might we be faithful to you. And I pray this all in your name. Amen.